Thank you for the opportunity to be with you again this morning. Um, I had the privilege to travel for four months. So I used to travel about every second month to a different continent. And then during COVID, I was stuck in Western Australia, which gave me a good opportunity to grow some roots as well. Um, but when the borders started to open, um, I needed to get some um, fresh air and had the opportunity to travel to Greece for two weeks um, to visit some of the ministries that I'll be involved with, um, then to North America for six weeks to do support raising, um, South Africa for three weeks. I haven't seen my family for three and a half months, three and a half years, and then um, back to Greece for the five weeks. And uh, four of those five weeks we spent as a, a group from Perth Bible College to do two things. One is to look at ministry in modern Greece. Um, what does the, the context look like? What are the, the needs of the people? Who are the people that we were reaching out to? And, and we were privileged to be part of a Bible distribution campaign in central Greece and with 250 uh, other people from around the world, we were able to distribute close to 54,000 New Testaments in five days, um, bringing the total of, of Bibles distributed by Hellenic Ministries to nearly 1.4 million people. Um, and we hope to finish rural Greece next year um, and, and just uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity to bring His Word to so many people. And then we were able to go to a city in the north of Greece called Yanina and worked with a church there at a refugee center. Um, a number of Afghan refugees, Syrian refugees are in camps around the city and we were able to meet some of them, just spend time with them, hear their stories, pray for them um, and bring the good news of Jesus to them. And then we had the opportunity to travel um, for two weeks following in the footsteps of Paul to look at the background of the New Testament. Um, we started off in Kavala, um, which is the ancient city of Neapolis where Paul arrived in Greece, followed to Philippi, uh, Thessaloniki, Berea, Athens, and finished in Corinth. And not only looking at um, what the, the ancient cities look like or the, the culture and the history, but also spending time um, every, every last day of our visit to a city to actually go back to scripture to see how um, did the information that we received through our guides, through our readings, through our observation, um, how does that help us to get to understand the Bible better? How does that help us um, to interpret and, and get to the message so that we can apply it to our lives and um, to our ministries. And so this morning I want to read uh, from the Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And you can turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Um, but as I do that, I want to give a little bit of background, and I'm going to do that through a few of the, the photos that I took in the ancient city. And so we know that Paul, on his second uh, missionary journey, had the desire to go east, not west. His desire was to go further east, maybe even to Persia. But it seemed like the Holy Spirit guided him further west. And when he was in West Turkey today, in the city of Troas, um, he had the vision of the Macedonian man appearing to him. 
and the man said, come over and help us. And so Paul and his co-workers um, got on a boat and sailed to the city of Kavala. From Kavala, they walked about oh, Neapolis, they walked about um, 15 kilometers to the city of Philippi. And so they should have arrived um, through these gates. Um, this is what the gates would have looked like um, into the city of uh, Philippi. And the first thing that they would have seen would have been the ancient theater, the place where the people gathered. Um, now, in the Greek times, it was used for um, plays and performances. But in the time of the Romans, it was more used for um, entertainment. And Philippi was not a Greek city. It was a Roman colony. So it was not built for the arts. It was built for entertainment. And Paul would have walked through this theater into the city. Now, Paul walked a lot. Um, he walked many thousands of kilometers. And when he was in northern Greece, he walked um, along the Via Ignatia. And the Via Ignatia, um, or the... Uh, Ignatian Way um, was a route from Rome to Byzantium that later became Constantinople. And it actually went through the city of Philippi. There's a um, part of the Via Ignatia still um, left there. And so Paul would have walked through the city on this, um, on this road. And then further west, he, on the first Sabbath, first Saturday he was there, he would have gone to a quiet space outside of the city walls um, where there was a stream and where he looked for believers of the one true God to gather. Philippi did not have enough men, Jewish men, to form a synagogue to build a building. So the believers, most of them women and, and women from a Gentile background, gathered next to a stream to worship God. And that's where we met a number of the people, including Lydia. And um, this is a modern baptismal font in the stream that the Orthodox Church has built there. And that might have been something like that where Paul might have baptized some of the new believers. But Paul also went into the city, and this is the forum or agora, the marketplace. Um, now, when we think of marketplace, we might think of a mall. But it's much more than that. The, both the Greek and the Roman marketplace were mainly a place where everything happened. It was economic, yeah, there were some, some shops, but it was also where the administrative buildings were. were. That's where the, um, the, the, the magistrates had their courts. That's where the temples were all around this big square. And it might have been in this big square where Paul walked, uh, daily, where a girl followed him, um, calling out that these men were preaching the Most High God. And eventually, Paul could not take it any longer, and he turned around and he rebuked the demons inside of her, which caused a lot of um, um, trouble for Paul and, and his co-workers, and eventually, they were caught and thrown into the jail. Now, um, there's just another one. There's a um, cave that looks like a um, prison, and it, you might not read there, but it says um, the Apostle Paul's prison, 
And that's what the prison looks like, more like a cave that they've put him in. Now, we don't really know if that's Paul's prison, most probably not. Um, but this is what a prison would have looked like. And eventually, um, Paul, Paul and um, Silas were beaten and then put in prison. And then we know that instead of lamenting, they were praising God. Um, and all the prisoners heard them. And in the middle of the night, there was an earthquake and the doors of the prison opened and the shackles fell off, but the prisoners did not leave. And the jailer came out, wanted to commit suicide, but Paul and Silas um, prohibited him from doing that. And he and his household were saved. And the next day, the magistrates realized they made a big mistake. Um, they wanted Paul and, and Silas to leave quietly. They did not leave quietly, but they did leave. And so Paul and Silas and the others um, walked along to Thessalonica. But it is to these two people, the jailer and his household, to Lydia and her household that became believers and others that Paul writes this letter. And we know that Paul had a very, very close relationship with these people. So when we think of Paul, we, we think of Paul the missionary, um, his missionary journeys, uh, the pioneer that planted churches everywhere he went. And Paul was a missionary. But we also think of Paul as a theologian, writing um, a systematic, in a systematic way what he believed the truth was. But Paul was not just a missionary and a theologian. He was also a pastor. And through some of the letters, especially the letter to the Philippians, we can see Paul's pastoral heart coming through. Paul loved this church in Philippi, not just because they were God's people, not just because they were the first church that he planted in Europe, but also because they partnered with him. And let's read through this passage and see how close this relationship was. Um, before we read, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can read from your word to understand who you are. But more than that, how much you love us and how much you desire us to love you and love one another and follow you and follow the, 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 in the footsteps and the calling of your Son. We pray, Lord, that through your Spirit you will give us insight into your word so that we can apply it to our lives and to our ministries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul begins by writing from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And, and Paul introduced himself not as the church plant or the apostle, but the servant. He sees himself not as somebody that commands over the people or to lord over the people, but to serve this congregation. And then he greets all the saints and then the overseers and the deacons. And, and we know in, in ancient texts, um, the most important person is usually mentioned first. Um, and so he doesn't mention the, the elders or the deacons first, but he mentions all the people in Philippi, together with the, 
the um, elders and the deacons. And, and for Paul, the church was not the leadership. Or the leadership were not the important people in the church. The important people in the church were all the believers. And Paul is writing this, this, this letter to all the people in the church, saying, you are more important than having a status or, or a responsibility. It is all of you that I hold dear. And it's all of you that I love. And then he greets them in verse 2 saying, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this phrase, grace and peace, is a very interesting, it's, it's, it's unique to Paul. Grace comes from the Greek word charis, that means uh, to rejoice. But it was a very um, uh, typical Greek, uh, Greek greeting to, to say to one another, grace to you. Grace to you. But Paul combines that with a um, Jewish Hebrew greeting of shalom, peace to you. And so Paul brings these, these two, the Greek and the Jewish, together because that's how he saw the church. Not just for the Greeks or not just for the Jews, but for both. And he, and he brings the greeting from both traditions together and say, this is a new tradition that we're starting to greet one another with God's grace and God's peace um, because he is the one that has shown his grace to us. And it's through his son Jesus that we can have peace with him and peace with one another. And so maybe we should continue to greet one another with, with these words, grace and peace to you because it is God that brought us together. In verse 3 he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Let's just stop there. Um, every time I read this, I feel guilty. Because I think of a lot of people uh, often. But um, I don't always thank God for the people I think about. And so maybe, maybe Paul is coming and, and he's reminding us that when... When he reminds us of people, we should not just think about the people, but also thank God for the people. But look at the words that Paul used here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. It is inclusive, but it is also a completeness, right? It is not, uh, well, sometimes when I think of you, I may pray for one or two of you. But he says, every time I think of you, I thank God. And in, in all my prayers, every time I pray, it might be a hyperbole, but, but I think Paul was so close to this church that, that he, he might have prayed for them daily. Um, Praying for them, and not just for the leaders, but for all of them. Um, and, and always praying with joy. Um, it was not easy for Paul to be in Philippi, um, to be beaten, to be thrown in jail, to be ashamed. But the fruit of his labor, the church that was planted... The people that he met, the relationships brought him joy. 
And so Paul is looking at this church with, with love and joy and he says, I just thank God for you every time I pray. Not just for a few. And, and we know there were some difficult people. Paul talks about two difficult ladies. I'm not going to go into that. But he, he, he even prays for them with joy. Why? Verse 5 says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, this church, and, and we read about that in chapter 4, was maybe the only church in Macedonia that he planted that partnered with him financially and other ways of support. Um, and not just when he needed, but always. Even when he didn't need support, they supported him. And so Paul is saying, um, he's not saying, I thank you for the support you gave. He says, I'm thanking you for the partnership in the gospel. Um, Paul is, is saying, it's not about me, it's not my needs, it's about the gospel. And what I'm doing is to preach the gospel, to minister about the gospel. And when you support, it is about the gospel and the ministry of the gospel. And so he's saying, as much as I'm going out to preach the gospel and planting churches, you are there with me because you are partnering with me. And he's saying, from the beginning up to now, that's what you are doing. The fruit of the labor is not just Paul's, but it's equally the labor of the church in Philippi. And then he says in verse 6, and this is a very um, well-known verse that I think is sometimes taken out of context. So let's just read that. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, most of the time I've, I've heard the quoting of this verse, it's in the context of discipleship or in the context of sanctification, that God who began to work in you to bring you faith, to grow your faith, to be, become a believer, to be sanctified. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. This passage is not about discipleship or growth or faith or sanctification. This passage is about being partners in the gospel. And so God began this work in the church to partner with Paul. And Paul is confident that they will continue to partner with him. And as you as a church look at your partnership every year with those around the world that began how many years ago? God is continuing to do that good work, even in the next year and the year after and the year after. A partnership isn't just for one or two months. A partnership is a long-term relationship. And so Paul is saying, I'm so grateful for God who began this work in you so that you can continue to be partners in the gospel that is continuing out. And then verse 7, he continues to say, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you 
with the affection of Christ Jesus. And, and here we can, can feel Paul's heart, his, his love, his affection for the church in Philippi. Knowing that they are with him, whether he is going around preaching the gospel or defending the faith, or whether he is in chains like now, in prison, and cannot go around, he knows that they are with him. They are not ashamed that he's in prison because they know that he's not sitting in prison lamenting all the day long. But he's continuing to, to preach the gospel even to the, to the guards that, that's guarding him. And so he praises God for this closely relationship that he has with them. And then verse 9 to 11 is one of my favorite prayers in the New Testament. And Paul doesn't just continue to say, these are the ways that you can continue to partner with me. He then prays for the church, and he's praying for um, their unity, but also how they should live um, in their community. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. Um, just reminded of, of the... Um, message before communion, um, he did, he's not saying that your power or that you grow in strength, but love is so strong. Love is stronger than anything else that we can have. And so Paul is saying, if, if, you, if you have nothing else but love for God and love for one another, that's enough. And so Paul is saying, my prayer is that you'll grow in your love every day. More and more. Not to say, well, I think I love enough. Or we have enough love in our church. I, I don't think you, you can ever get to the point of having enough love for one another. We, we should just grow in our love. But, but Paul is saying this is the most important thing. To love. Love God and love one another. How? Um, in knowledge and depth of insight. It's very difficult to love somebody. If you don't know that person or know about that person, it's very difficult to love God and to love Jesus if we don't know God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so through his word, through relationships, through listening to others, we grow in our understanding of who God is, understanding of what he has done for us. And we begin to have insight into his will for our lives as his church. What is the purpose? Verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best. There's a lot of good things that we can do. Uh, there, there's no end on the opportunities to do good. In our own church, in the community around the world. But good is not always the best. And so Paul is asking this church, in their knowledge of, of who God is and their love for him and for one another, that they will discern what is the best thing to do. What is the best thing for you and me to do? What is the best for this church to do? What is the best for the church universal? To do. And we pray that God will give us the insight to know 
what is the best and not to be satisfied with just the good. Continue in the second part of verse 10. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Through our love for one another, through knowing God, understanding Him, through not just discerning what is the best, but doing the best, I believe God is also taking us on this, on this journey of sanctification to become holy, pure, blameless in the sight of God and in the eyes of the community around us. Um, it's not a, a law that Paul is, is putting on the people. He's not saying you must be holy. He's saying if you love one another, if you know God more, if you know what is the best, then you will become pure and blameless. Um, and so sometimes we think these are the things that I need to do um, because I need to be pure. No, let's put love first. Let's put seeking God first. Let's asking him what's his will. And he will purify us. He will change our minds. He will change our hearts. So that we, verse 11, may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That we may be in the right position before God. That we may be there, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done through his son. That Jesus' righteousness will be our righteousness. And that the position that he has prepared for us before God's throne, the one that we will fill. To what end? To the glory and praise of God. That everything that we do, the persons who we are, who we are as individuals, church, church universal, all be to the glory and praise of God. Paul had a very close relationship with this church. Um, he loved them. Um, he talks about joy throughout this, this letter. Even in chains, Paul is talking about joy because of the partnership that he felt with this church. And I think this prayer that he, he wrote down might be a prayer that he prayed for this church regularly. And, and my prayer for you as well, as Kingsley Church of Christ, that you will take this prayer to heart as well. That you will abound more and more in love. That that will be the thing that you strive for, to love God and love one another. That you will do that through knowing God and growing and insight of who He is. So that you will know, that you will discern what is the best for you and for your church. And through that, God will purify you. God will continue in the, in the process of sanctification so that... When Christ returns, you will stand in the right relationship with him. And doing everything Paul is calling us and, and he's calling even you today to do it all to the glory and praise of God our Father. I know that you've been involved with so many partnerships 
um, individuals, organizations around the world. And on behalf of them, I want to thank you for your partnership, not the partnership with individuals, organizations, but in the partnership with the gospel. That God is using you to expand his kingdom throughout the world, through your prayers, through your encouragement, through your support. You are part of God's church being built. Thank you for that. But it's also an encouragement to continue with that partnership so that you will rejoice with others in seeing what God has done and will continue to do. And as you do that, that you also in this community continue to love people as you love God. That you will reach out to the communities around you, even to know what's the best for your church to reach the communities, so that the, the communities around here will see you as being pure, blameless, and want to be like you to become followers of God. Continue to worship God. Put him first. Um, not just worship on a Sunday. This is one little part of, of worship. Worship is the way that we live. Um, as we walk before God, that is our worship to our King and Father. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your servant Paul, um, for his heart for the nations that you gave him, for his experiences, for his skills, for his love for the churches and the people that he had planted. And, and we pray, Lord, that we will learn from his life, as we also learn from, from the gospel of your son Jesus, how to live, how to know, how to love, Lord. And my prayer for, for Kingsley Church this morning, Lord, is that their love for you and for one another and for this community and, and for Perth and WA and Australia and the round the world will abound more and more. That they will love because they know. That they will love you because they will know you more. That they will love their, their, their um fellow believers because they, they build relationships within the church. That they will love the communities because they, they step out and get to know people. And that they will love, this, uh, that they will love the people of this world because they, they read about and, and get to know who is living in different countries and, and what you are doing around the world. Lord, but we also pray that you will give them direction to do what is best that they will live holy and pure before you, that they will wait upon you and, and stand in the right relationship with you when Christ returns, and that their whole lives will be directed to you, living a life of worship and praise because you and you alone are worthy. Thank you, Lord, that we can pray this through the beautiful name of Jesus, our Lord.